All right, everybody, welcome to Overflow Beyond the Music. I'm your host, Josh McCabe. Thanks so much for hanging out with us again. And I'm coming to you from Edmonton, Alberta right now in Canada. And let me tell you, it's a spot in Canada that's known for being a little cold. And I think it's kind of funny because right now I'm looking at the calendar and it's mid-July. And we, in Nashville right now, it is hot as anything. It's just humid. I'm going through like two, three shirts a day. I step into Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and I have to wear a jacket right now, and it feels a little cold. But uh, I'm making it. I'm making it work. I'm up here leading worship right now uh, for the weekend, getting ready to do that. But uh, of course, I made sure to take some time while I'm on the road to uh, to make sure I get another podcast episode out to all of you faithful listeners. Which I appreciate those of you who tune in to. Uh, each and every episode. Tune in, such a weird word. Why did I say tune in? Because you tune into like a TV or a radio. No, thank you to all of you who push a button on your device to listen to this podcast. You have no idea uh, how much I appreciate that. Now, I try hard not to tease future episodes too, too much because in the nature of this recording podcast and trying to schedule interviews, things can move around very quickly. Things can keep uh, adjusting as you're trying to aligned schedules. I'm traveling quite a bit. A lot of these artists are traveling quite a bit. And then we have families. We have wives and kids and home life and bills to pay and, uh, you know, getting your car fixed and all that stuff. So it can be a little tough to schedule different interviews. But we've got an interview coming up with a friend of mine named Ben Christ. And if you don't know what, um, don't know him by his name, he had a band called The Glorious Unseen. And they released a couple of records with Tooth and Nail Records, uh, BEC. I think they're on BEC. I could be wrong, though. So don't kill me, Tyson Paletti, if you're listening to this. But when people ask me, uh, you know, what kind of guests do you have on this, this show? Um, what kind of artists and what genres do you have on? Um, how well-known do you have to be to come on the podcast? I, I've, I've been asked that before, which, to be honest, there's no real actual prerequisite for being on this podcast uh, other than you just got to have something to say. And and really, to be honest, I, I don't know. I, I want to be careful what I say because I don't I don't ever uh, want to have a podcast that I don't know. I, I always want to stay positive, you know. Like I rather focus on things that that people can relate on and agree on, and things that that bring us together. But but for me, I, I want to hear the real story behind someone's life, and I believe that whether or not you know who an artist is or you're super familiar with their work, they if you've got something to say and you've got something that's going to challenge people, myself and listeners, then, then I want you to be part of this and I want you to be on it. And Ben Christ's story and his testimony and what God's done in his life and sort of the unique perspective he wrote worship songs out of for a season is is really something that I think is going to challenge us all. I think it's something that uh, you'll walk away going, man, that was that was really good. I want to go listen to some of his songs now. I really want to go check out what he's about. And really the central theme of, of this talk uh, that, that Ben and I have is is around the idea of why it's okay to, for lack of better words, be sad in worship. Why it's okay to lament. Why we don't have to always um, sing, you know, Jesus is awesome, everything is awesome. Jesus is awesome, but everything in our lives is not always awesome. We can look through the the stories of David and the Psalms he wrote, and guess what? They were they were legit enough to make it to the Bible. So I, I think if David can complain and say, "But still, God, I'm still pouring out my heart to you," I think if he can do that, I think that that's a pretty good model for us to be following as Christians and as songwriters 
and his people. So you're going to really enjoy this next episode coming up. Um, but it's not today's episode, but you're really going to enjoy it. So make sure that you are subscribed to this podcast. So you can do that. Hit the little subscribe button if you're listening on iTunes, Apple Music, uh, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, just hit subscribe. We really appreciate that. And make sure to also give us a follow on social media. You can follow us at OverflowBTM on Instagram, uh, same on Twitter, and then you can also find us on Facebook now, which we made sure to get our uh, Facebook page up and going. And I'm really encouraged because we already had somebody reach out to us on Facebook, and I was super stoked. Uh, sometimes I sit here and I'm recording, and I'm going, is anybody listening? <laughs> is, is there anybody out there that's actually caring about what we're what we're making? And when I get messages that, that, that tell me that people are listening and, and that they're encouraged, uh, I tell you, it means a lot to me. So I want to give a little quick shout out to somebody who sent us a Facebook message recently. Her name is Taylor, and she sent some super encouraging stuff, said she started listening to the podcast when we did our interview with Stephen Christian of Amberlynn, and she's totally hooked on the podcast now, and she's heard all the episodes since then. So really appreciate you reaching out, Taylor. And if you are listening to this podcast right now, thank you. I appreciate you. And also, if you're listening to this podcast, for anybody else listening, and you want to drop us a line, make sure to do so on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, and I will be giving you a shout-out on this show. So make sure you do that. Now, I don't want this to sound like an episode of, you know, how it's made, where you get a little, I don't know, window into how a podcast is created. But typically, when I record these intro pieces before the podcast, it is after I've done the interview. But today, uh, I'm recording all of this before I hop on the interview because we are doing this all together in, in one shot. And I have the chance today to get to talk to someone I consider uh, maybe a friend from a distance. I don't get to see him that often. We've been on some tours together, and uh, I've known him for several years, and we run into each other in East Nashville the odd time. But I'm really excited to hop on the phone in a minute with Mike Donahue of 10th Avenue North. But before we bring him in here, before we put him on the line, uh, why don't we check out a clip from their new album. 10th Avenue North has a new album called No Shame. It's coming out August the 2nd, and I've had the chance to listen to it a few times already, and my favorite song off it is this one. This is called Heaven Is Now by 10th Avenue North here on Overflow Beyond the Music Podcast. So to our listeners right now, I want to take you back to GMA Week 2007, Oh, maybe. my goodness. And I get this it was album 2000. It was me. 2008. It was 2008. 2008? Yeah. Yeah, I get this album handed to me, and <laughs> um, there's a bunch of guys sitting against a wall on it and I pop it in and I hear this song that I think is still my favorite 10th Avenue North song of all time called Love Is Here and Crap. I go, who is this band and uh, I remember taking it home and just showing everyone I remember saying this and I, I hope I don't put too much pressure on you Mike but I remember saying to people this is the future of worship music <laughs> music that is n- <laughs> yes I know uh, you know and the best the best part is you just said the first song I heard from you was the best one. And then you're like, not to put pressure. I'm like, you've just discounted everything I've done since then. So it's fine. <laughs> no, it's fine. Yeah, well, all right. There you go. Well, 
No, no, no. I, uh, there's my fa- It's still my favorite. Though. No, I'm, I'm totally. Good. That's awesome. And I just That's think awesome. like there's, there's a lot about. I mean, I, I like a lot production wise about that song, which most people look back at their first record and don't like it production wise. What do you think about when you? I mean, you know what? Actually, Mike, I need to introduce you. I'm on the line right now with Mike Donahue of Tenth Avenue North, and uh, he's coming to me from his home in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm here in Alberta. But, um, Mike, tell me what comes to mind when you think of that first record, Over and Underneath. Yeah, well, you is that, know... Is that how I say it, right? It's Over and Underneath. Yeah. Right? yeah I, I mean, honestly, yeah. There's a lot of things I'd probably do differently now, but I still... I'm... Unfortunately, I've met people in the music industry who really lament songs, albums, parts of their career. They're just like, oh, yeah. I hate that. I don't... I don't really feel that way. I mean, there's definitely parts I go, man, we could have done better on that song or that music there. Right. But Love Is or Here. What was that hairstyle? Yeah, well, <laughs> absolutely. But Love Is Here, you know, that was the first song I wrote because we, we had been a band for eight years before that and we're writing songs yeah. all the time. And Love Is Here, I remember, was the first song that people asked me to play again. And the mm. cool part is when we were trying to figure out the music for that song, it went through like 10 different variations and the guitar riff that starts the song we'd actually been trying to work out an arrangement to go record in nashville because we had you know signed this little like pre-production deal and we were about to take a trip up to nashville from south florida to record love is here and we worked Mm -hmm. for three days on the arrangement and we're just fighting and fighting and fighting so then we tried this different song and Jeff started playing this guitar part for this different song. And I went, stop, everybody stop. I know we've been working on Love Is Here for three days and we just stopped because we we're mad, but that's the riff. I was like, and they're like, it's the there wrong, it is. I, they said, it's the wrong key. I said, change it to the right key. And, uh, <laughs> and then it was like, we all went, oh yeah, this is it. That's amazing. Because you know what, I think it's, I think some of the, the best artists created with uh, a bunch of broken pieces of, pieces and i mean kind of like our lives (laughs) lots of broken pieces come together and and create something beautiful and sometimes they're just not fitting in the right place yeah and you got you got to be willing to throw out what you've worked a long time on and that's kind of the hardest part it's kind of the hardest part of songwriting too you know i go into songwrites all the time and you like this part of my soul oh yeah you don't like that okay here's another part of my soul i have to just keep presenting ideas that get shot down so uh, you got to have a thick skin, that's for sure. Well, I mean, yeah. And as I look at sort of the, I don't know, the career, quote unquote, of 10th Avenue North, you know, I see Dove Awards, several number one singles, uh, lots of well-known songs. You know, every every band I kind of go, there's always that, when you th- say a band name and you think of a song, like when I say Switchfoot, I think people go like, Dare You to Move or meant to live correct and you have that song um you know when people think of 10th avenue north they probably think of a lot of different songs but what i think about is i think about uh a band who's willing to sacrifice success uh for the sake of following their soul and what they're called to do what do you what do you feel is your burden as an artist what do do you feel is that's the best (laughs) <laughs> That's the best compliment I've I've gotten in a long time. Well, hey, it's true, man. Thanks. Uh, you know, we put out this record last year called Things We've Been Afraid to Say, mm-hmm. and it's kind of 
speaking to what you're talking about, at least we were consciously doing that at that point, um, trying to write songs about topics that we knew wouldn't be embraced commercially. And I got on that train because there was a couple of songs on that record that we had written years previously, but had just kind of squashed the ideas because I can't sing about that. Can't, you know, can't Mm -hmm. talk about that. And I remember going, I was reading in Luke chapter six and Jesus says to the Pharisees, he's like, you, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. Or no, what am I talking about? That's John chapter five. Luke chapter I, I just, six. He I says, just gave you an amen of like Harrison. I know you gave. Mm, mm, no, no, <laughs> That's good. he did say he did say that as well. But uh, in Luke chapter six, he, <laughs> I'm gonna just start doing wrong quotes and I just see it. what I can get you to do. Um, it's a lot of preachers yeah, who make like a lot of money doing that. <laughs> yeah, the Lord is my Rolex. I shall not want anymore. Right? You know. Yes, um, anyway, exactly. so Luke Luke chapter six. He says, you think your job is to be popular. It's not. Your job is to tell the truth. Mm. And that hit me hard, you know? Am I only singing about parts of the truth I know will sell? Then I'm not telling the truth. I'm merely selling the truth. And I think when we... It's okay if some of what you say gets commercially successful. That's great. You know, we're all trying to make a living at this. But if that's all I do, then, yeah, my soul gets shrunk, it would seem. Well, I, th- I think if you're, always, if you're always trying to be someone, you, if there's times where you have to, whether you're a, a painter, a businessman, a preacher, whatever, you have to sort of cater what you're saying and what you're writing to meet the needs of the listener. But if you're always trying to be someone you're not in order to fulfill everybody else's wants, then then you've really you've, you've sold your soul, essentially. You're not being you. I, I forget who said the quote, but it's true, you know, failure is succeeding at something that doesn't matter. Or I would say mm-hmm. Failure is succeeding at something that you're not passionate about. Yeah. Or you're not wired. It, it doesn't resonate with you deeply. It's like, then you're just, you're just going to feel hollow, you know? Well, with that in mind, then, then what, what, are, what is the thing that you're passionate about? What, what drives Mike Donahue? Well, it's funny you say that because we were kind of asking that question. And I was trying to figure out, okay... What am I specifically wired to do when it comes to communicating, to making music? And I kind of came to this realization. I looked back over our whole catalog of songs, and the word shame occurred 30 times. And I just said, wow, I really care about shame. And at the same time, I've been reading a lot by a guy named Chip Dodd who talks a lot about the voice of the heart and understanding what your emotions are and emotions are gifts and even shame can be a gift he would say and um, so that's why our new record is called No Shame it's like the realization of oh this nothing gets me more excited when I feel like the weight of shame that someone is carrying unnecessarily 
yeah. gets broken or lifted off because of something we're communicating or singing. And that's what I want to be about. Man, I just, I love that heart. And, and it's one I echo. It's probably why I love a lot of the songs that you write. I love a lot of what you're about. Um, and, you know, in my own journey, and this podcast certainly not about me, but in my own journey, as I've, I've ministered and shared songs, when I've gotten real about what the song's really about and not just the, oh, this is about my struggle with such and such and such and such. And when I actually say, no, this is actually what it's really, really about. And uh, I wrote a song a number of years ago that, that talked about something I went through that was real. Hmm. Talked about not trusting God in the area of finances and all the negative things that, that came with that and all sure. the, the negative ways it poured itself out. And when I began sharing that story, I just saw the room shift, you know? But for so long, uh, I was afraid to, to say it. Has there been aspects of your journey and your writing where, where you've said things that you weren't sure you should could would it's a good idea to say um well <laughs> on our on our things we've been afraid to say record there's a song called covenant which i had been i'd written i was sort of inspired by this madeline engel poem that she wrote to her husband mm-hmm. when she talks about she's at this writing conference and she feels this spark of attraction with this other writer that's a guy okay. and he he like walks her up to her hotel room and then nothing happens. Hmm. And then she says, she's writing to her husband this poem and it basically says, I'm thankful for that spark hmm. because it reminds me that when I don't chase it and I choose you instead, it actually makes what we have even stronger. Yeah. Oof. And so I wrote, I wrote the song because I mean, it's just something Christians don't talk about. You don't talk about, hey, yeah, I've, I've felt attracted to other people, other women that aren't my wife. Yeah. And uh, so I wrote the song called Covenant. I go, if you don't acknowledge that, you're setting yourself up for failure because as soon as you do feel it, you're going to think something's wrong with your marriage and you're going to leave your wife. I mean, I've watched friends at this stage of life leave their spouse because, well, I got to be true to my heart. Yeah, and I felt this thing for somebody else, so I wrote this song about it. And we we were opening up for Mercy Me last year. You know, their movie came out. It's a huge arena tour. Yeah, and it was just awesome. Every night I'd go, man, this next song's about marriage. Yay! And being married's crazy. Yeah, and I got four daughters. Whoa, yeah, it's crazy having four daughters. <laughs> oh, but you know what's really surprising about marriage? What? It's that you can, you know, even after being married 11 years, I can still find myself attracted to other women. And, Whoa. like, you just watch the, the, the air go out of the room. Yeah. And, but the first time we ever played that song live, we were doing this little mm-hmm. acoustic show. Two different couples told the pastor of the church we were playing in that they were in the middle of a divorce. And after my setup and talking about that song, they're going to try to reconcile. Yeah. And I go, man, like, it's worth it. It's worth making people feel awkward if someone else gets set free. Totally. I, I could not agree with you more because there are so many people that are living lives that are not free, that are crippled by guilt and shame. And, and that, that is no way to live. There's, there's freedom in Christ. And, yes. But the problem is I think, I think we're often just being tempted all the time to settle for the thing that we want now versus the thing that we want most. Yes. Uh, um, 
in Hebrews that talks about uh, Esau yes. sacrificing his inheritance for a single meal. Yep. And that is that is probably one of the bummers about being a Christian is you gotta kind of be into delayed gratification a little bit. Yeah. But it in any in any field, people would attest to how healthy that is mm-hmm. to say no to certain desires that you're having, like even if it's eating that chocolate cake that you shouldn't have, or yeah. it's, you know, whatever it is. Well, to me, I look at your career too because it's interesting because when when I see bands that come out and get a lot of press and a lot of a lot of people talking about them, um, <laughs> sadly they don't stick around too too long. Uh, take a snapshot of Christian radio or mainstream radio or whatever two years ago, and I wonder if some of those artists in the top 20 are even still making music. But you guys experienced, you know, a relatively decent amount of success early on, but you're still here making music one, two, three, four, five, six records later, like six full-length records. Is that correct? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, this this one will be our sixth studio, like, full-length if you don't count Christmas or EPs. I was going to say, Dick, tell me how 10th Avenue North is still here today and still, uh, I mean, relatively intact. You, you're still the lead singer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you haven't changed. You know what I mean? <laughs> we haven't, like, there's not the name with, with all brand new guys. You've had some lineup changes over the years, but but that's happens when you're a band for 10 years. But tell me, what, what's been the secret to 10th Avenue North's longevity? Oh, man. That's a tough question. Wish, but Obviously, any musician is going, if I had the answer to that, I would bottle it and sell it. And uh, we, so three years ago, we thought the band was over, you know? Yeah. We were just touring too much and just just seemed financially, it just wasn't ever going to make sense. Hmm. It's one of the big things with bands particularly you have more people you have to pay than if you're a solo artist so it's even harder to maintain longevity right and we kind of looked around and we made this decision to you you know cut the number of shows we're doing every year by 50 wow which is insane and i in the wake of that decision i wrote this song called control and i remember control was actually the third single off that record yeah Um, and I remember when we put it out, the radio team said, what's the story of the song? And I said, man, the story is, you know, it was, things were really bad at home and we felt like we were missing our children grow up and we weren't making enough money to cut the number of shows, but we decided to cut it anyway because it wasn't worth sacrificing our families for the band. Mm. And I remember my, my head of radio goes, you, you can't sh- you can't say that. <laughs> it makes it sound like the band wasn't doing well. And I said, like, the band wasn't doing well. And we weren't doing Why well. Why would I say <laughs> something else? Yes. And, of course, the irony, that song, they told us uh, a couple months ago, it was the most played song on Christian radio last year. Yeah. Which I still don't quite believe, but some, some metrics warranted that right. title. But I, I don't know. I... I do know this, that I've never felt, I, I hear a lot of artists say like, man, you got to, you got to sacrifice what you really care about writing to write that radio hit. And if I'm really honest, like I've just never felt that way. Maybe I just 
am a weird breed that I really just enjoy pop music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back, I mean, I'm proud of every radio single we've ever put out. And I go, I, and for me, I feel like the secret is just really doing what you love and are passionate about. It's kind of, I heard someone ask, you know, John from Switchfoot, they, they, I think we were in a Q and a together somewhere or something. And they said, um, Hey, how do you not get tired of playing the same songs over and over? And he said something to the effect of, man, you just write songs you really believe. Yeah. And then, and so like our song Warn, I've just tried to write songs that no matter what season I'm in, I can always honestly and passionately sing it. So there's just never going to be a night where I can't honestly and passionately sing, let me see redemption win. Yeah. Let me know the struggle ends. Like, I'm just always going to be able to sing that. I, I love that song because um, when when I was when I first heard that record, uh, a friend of mine showed it to me, and he goes, uh, and I won't say who it is, but he goes, this album um, makes me have faith in Christian music again. <laughs> oh. And and he said, I was so thankful that these guys made this record. And tell me a little bit about, um, like, I want you to take me into the journey of making one of your records because that that doesn't get talked about enough. So I'm going to just pick one and I want you to take me back to the the writing, the studio, who was there, the thoughts running through your head. Let's you know, let's talk about the struggle. Yeah. What what talk about the making of that record? Yeah, that so that was a huge shift for us. <clears throat> Previously for Over and Underneath and for Light Meets the Dark, I kind of just did all the writing myself or with co-writers in uh, Nashville. There's a couple songs I started writing with Jeff, started bringing him in, but we would we would basically write with someone in their studio, they would put together a demo, and then we wouldn't really touch the song again until we were in the studio. Well, the struggle uh, was a lot more band music first. Um, even losing the first single was me, Jeff, and Ruben, who are, you know, we're the three remaining members of the band today. And it was a, uh, we, we recorded at Blackbird Studios. Yeah, so the yeah, previous yeah. two had been done in a, in a basement studio at okay. one of our producers' houses. And so this was the first time we were in like a big, fancy space. We had mm-hmm. lots of room. We kind of figured out how each other operated. Uh, and the demos, Jeff just started bringing out all this recording gear over the year before. Mm. And we just started like messing around in, you know, dressing rooms all yeah. day, every day. Right. So we went into the struggle record just much more, feeling much more like a band. Mm. And, uh, you know, explored a lot of percussion sounds because Jason, our drummer, was very adamant that we not use any loops. So any loop-esque thing he created on real drums and cool i think we probably took longer than we needed to on that record but (laughs) it was a it was a lot of fun what what sticks out for you as as a moment in in making a record where as you talk about the the band dynamic what sticks out is maybe a time when you've had to compromise for the sake of the band every song ever really Give me, I, give me an example. I mean, I, uh, Tell me about the time gosh. you nearly broke into a fist fight with 
Ruben. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, it's just, it's always over just the smallest stuff. It's a drum fill or it's, hey, this, this musical part needs to go an extra time or this guitar part needs to be different or this, you know, um, it's just such, it's honestly minutia that the like average listener probably wouldn't ever, you know, know. Um, right. I'm trying to, I, one of the songs that we just all got in and it just blew us away how much it just all fell into place and we were mm-hmm. all stoked was a song called cathedrals off our cathedrals yeah. record. It was just, it was, it was very different for us. And it was like, it started as just a little drum pad and a little synth thing in the dressing room one day. I remember when we took this, like, it was just a skeleton of an idea when we brought it in the studio and we were working with a guy named John Fields who, um, he's a big pop guy. He actually did the beautiful letdown by Switchfoot and he did, and he's, yeah. Worked with Nick Jonas and Pink and Miley Cyrus and all these people. Nice, nice. And he and he just was way more music first. Hmm. Uh I don't know, that that song but all that to say, like, okay, a song that almost broke into a fist fight <laughs> was the song Control I was telling you about. Yeah. Because Paul Mabry was one of the producers on that song and he is a a, a drummer. I mean he yeah. used to play for Hillsong and um that's what he does. And so he had this idea of this rolling Tom thing that kind of goes through the whole song. Yeah. And Jason, our drummer, just wasn't feeling it. <laughs> I'll just put it mildly. Yeah. And But everybody else was. And that was one of the hardest things of watching him kind of just bite his lip and go, all right. But we've all, we've all been there where we've had to sacrifice what we think is a great idea because everyone else is feeling it. Yeah, I mean, I want to just sit on that sacrifice for a moment because um, are are there times in your career? I mean, you talked about touring too much, but where you're going, hey, I'm I'm keen. Like, well, I'm I'm good. Marriage is healthy. Kids are healthy. I'm like, let's let's do this. And someone else is going, man, we need to slow down because if I don't slow down, I'm gonna I'm gonna burn out, or or I, I need to deal with this. And have there been times where you've had to sacrifice sort of what? the trajectory of a career for the sake of not leaving a man behind. You know what? Constantly. And that's something that we set forth at the beginning of our band. Um, and every time someone came or went, cause when we were back in college, I mean, we had people come and go all the time. Yeah. And we always said, your family is first. Right. And this band is second. And so even, you know, our, this last year, our drummer Jason, who started the band with me, mm-hmm. and our keyboardist Brendan, who's been in the band, you know, I love that since guy. Light Meets the Dark. He's amazing. Um, they both felt like they both felt two things: that they really their time in the band was over, but they also like blessed us and said, "But I really feel like the band is not over," and to have that sort of humility. And sort of self-awareness to say, this is not what's best for my family anymore, mm-hmm. but also to turn and go, but I bless you guys and I want you to do awesome. Yeah, I still, I can't thank those guys enough because it's been cool. A lot of people go, oh, you had people leave. Must must have been terrible. And I go, 
actually it was awesome. We had parties for each of them. Like I still live on the same street as Jason. Our drummer is our compassion rep. Nice. Yeah, like yeah. He, he's going to come out on all of our tours for a couple of days. Awesome. You know, so maybe you can ask him to play that drum fill it, and control. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, but it's, de- it's definitely always felt like family first and Jeff and I, you know, now we just talk about, okay, what can you handle? What can I handle? Okay. Yeah. That's it. Well, and if the finances meet up with what we can handle, we'll keep doing the band. Right. But the day that, that those things don't match up, we're going to do something else. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't want to be one of those guys, man. And I pray that people would be honest with me if they feel like I'm just calling it in, mailing it in. And what I'm doing is just milking the system because I just, I'm a scared to go do something else. Yeah. Please come smack me in the face because like, like for instance, you know, our label came to us a couple of years ago and this is before control happened. Right. Which of course is the I, the irony of control is that we were ready to break up, mm-hmm. and that was the song that kind of like gave us some new life. Anyway, the the they wanted me to cover a famous worship song, and yeah. there's nothing wrong with that if yeah. that's what you feel purposefully called to do. But I knew in my heart, I'm called to write songs about shame. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I'm about. I'm I'm a little more horizontal than vertical i am i love vertical songs but i just feel like my specificity is in the in the horizontal coming to the vertical and uh so it's just having to make those hard decisions of going this would be the easy thing to do that i know would make me money and like boost my career Mm -hmm. but am i called to like take care of my career or take care of my soul and what i feel god's asking me to do Right. You know, and if I if I'm just doing what I feel like he didn't put it in spiritual terms, but Chris Martin said something really great about Coldplay. He basically said uh he said, "Listen, what we've lacked in actual skill, we've made up for in, in enthusiasm." Mm. And he says, "People may not even like what you're doing, but they'll follow you if you're enthusiastic about it." And I think there's a truth in music when you get a sense that Man, they are really doing what they really love and you really sense it's coming from an authentic place. It's like that may not be my cup of tea, but I can get on board with that now. And that's something that I've always loved about you guys is that that your your performance, your touring, your show, quote unquote show, like you know, the what you guys deliver on stage for people is so sincere. You, you know, you're walking through the crowd and I can it's it's almost like you know, I'm not sure you know it or they know it, but as I see you like sing lyrics and hold someone's hand or look into their eyes, it's like almost this prophetic moment you get to have with people. You know, that is actually so. Originally, I started jumping off the stage because I go, a lot of people do this and fans right. love it. And then something started happening to me when I would get off the stage is I'd be going through the crowd and then I would just see somebody and. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're crying or maybe there's something in their eye and you just feel that, feel, you know, what we can only describe as the Holy Spirit yeah. give you that like urge of you. That's, that's the one. Mm-hmm. And so I started trying to lean into this and go, I'm going to jump off stage. God, show me who. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were doing this outdoor free festival in Traverse City, Michigan. 
and I'm walking through the crowd and I just been talking about forgiving and how I was talking about our song losing and talking about how, um, you know, Augustine said something to the effect of being bitter at someone is like stabbing them with a sword that has to first go through your own soul. You know, it's just talking about you, you got to forgive, you got to forgive. And, um, so I get in the crowd and then I, I, I come face to face with this rough looking dude, long hair, big beard, gaunt, skinny guy. And he's like, got his eyes closed and I see some tears on his cheeks. And so I grab his hand and he like really surprised because he doesn't realize I've even gotten off the stage. Mm-hmm. And he just, I could just see him. He just bites down on his lip and he's staring at me like I'm a ghost and he's looking real scared, real scared. Um, anyway, after the show, a couple kids come up to me. They're like, why'd you, why'd you hold my uncle's hand and sing to him like that? I go, what are you talking about? That guy during that song. I go, Oh, I don't know. I just felt like I was supposed to. They go, he just got let out of prison last week. Wow. And he was in there for something he didn't do. And he has been eaten up with bitterness for 20 years. Wow. And you were talking and he's been sitting and I looked out and he's sitting by himself in the field, just, just praying. And they're like, he's just saying that was just a prophetic moment, you know? So I don't take it lightly, man. Things, things can happen. I really believe it. Well, I mean, it, it changes, (laughs) it changes your perspective when you begin to look at people as individuals and not masses. I, I heard, um, I'm sure you you know Stephen Christian of Amberlynn um, told the story about what pastoring has changed for him that he no longer goes and steps on stage with Amberlynn and sees crowds he sees stories and and yeah, that right. has changed everything for him and um, I think that's great because no matter who is listening whether it's ten people or ten thousand people or ten million people uh, there's always a story and and you're actually in uh, getting ready to release something that's a different overflow of of your personal life aside from 10th avenue north and that's a book and uh i want to give you a little platform just to talk a little bit about what's been going on there yeah man i i get asked this question all the time for years anytime i think you get on some sort of what people perceive as successful platform Mm -hmm. they immediately want to know how to get there Right. So they frame it in the spiritual question. Instead of just saying, hey, I want to be famous and I want mm-hmm. the level of success you've had, tell me how to do it. They say, how did you know this was God's will for your life? And I always respond to that question with, I don't. And they're mm-hmm. always <laughs> really angry. And I say, listen, God's will for your life, anytime you see it in scripture, it's all about your heart. It's yes. be joyful. It's pray continually. Give thanks. Give thanks. Uh, walk humbly, act justly, love mercy. This is what is required of you, right? And I go, the problem is God wants us to be people of faith. And to in order to walk in faith means you cannot have all the answers. The second you have all the answers, faith is not possible. It is only certainty. So God necessarily is going to keep you in the dark. The thing you need to worry about isn't what you're going to do with your life. You need to worry about how you're living your life and why you want to do what you want to do with your life. Yeah. Right. And so I wrote this book, it's called finding God's life for my will and how my journey has just been slowly letting go of the plan, letting go of the 10 year thing Mm -hmm. and just go, God, not like where is your will for me out there, but what's your life for me in here? Yeah. Right. 
God's not after our success. He's after our surrender is sort of the idea. Amazing. And I've tried to not, I've tried to not make it, you know, it's not linked to a song or a record because I don't want it to be a merch piece. I want it to be a book that someone who doesn't know anything about 10th Ave could still pick it up and go, I struggle with knowing, wanting to know what God's will for my life is. And yeah. I, I just want it to sort of live on its own and be its own thing. Absolutely. And, and so as you get ready to release a book and release a new record as well, uh, tell me when each of those are dropping and going to be available. It's, it's imminent, Josh. Imminent. We've got the No Shame, our new record, uh, August 2nd, which um, I don't know. So we just had a listening party and a kid I didn't even know came. He said, I feel like you guys are purposefully breaking the mold of CCM with this. Yes. And love it. I, it wasn't our purpose. Our purpose is always just to been make music that we love and are passionate about. But I yeah. think lyrically and musically, I'll just say I've never been as excited about making music as I am right now. And that record comes out August 2nd. My book, Finding God's Life for My Will, comes out August 6th. So same week. It's, it's a little nuts, but uh, it's going to be awesome. Well, that's awesome. And so I want to also give a little um, little prep, because you're uh, a little promo, because you guys are going to be heading out this fall on the No Shame Tour. Um, and I'm seeing dates uh, everywhere from Wisconsin to New Jersey to Williamsburg, Music Hall of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, New York. I love it. Uh, and you also are having a uh, No Shame record and book release show Tuesday, August 6th in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so if people want to check that out, they can do that. But Mike, I got to be honest with you. I've been listening to this record already because I've had it for about two weeks now uh, because your wonderful PR people sent it over to me. And I was listening to uh, my favorite song on the album, uh, I think is Heaven Is Now. And I'm listening to it at Dose Coffee in East Nashville. And who walks in other than Jeff Owen as I'm listening to the new record? Come on. Anyways. That's amazing. That's, it's right by our house. I could walk it's, there right now. Well, what we're going to do is when I'm back in Nashville, you can walk over and, uh, and you can bring me a copy of your new book and autograph it for me. And we'll hang out and grab coffee. Praise the Lord. All right, dude. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time. We're going to close this with uh, a song off the new record, No Shame. I want you to pick it, though. We came into this conversation listening to Heaven Is Now, but I want you to pick the song that we are going to close with. You know, uh, one I'm really lyrically excited about that I feel sums up the the message of No Shame is a song called Someone to Talk To. Well, sweet, man. We will listen to Someone to Talk To right here on Overflow Beyond the Music. This is Josh McCabe hanging out with Mike Donahue of 10th Avenue North. August 6th is his book release. August 2nd is the record release of No Shame. Here is Someone to Talk To. I try to speak up in church and tell them where I'm hurt. Tell them secrets I got and the temptations I flirt. They told me it's a safe place. Hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Yeah. But when I tell them where I'm at, they tell me where I ain't. And all I needed was someone to hear about my shame. Ah. Can anybody hear me? Can I say? All right, major thanks to Mike Donahue for taking time out of his day to hang out with us here on Overflow Beyond the Music. Absolutely love that guy. I always love getting to chat with him. 
You're going to want to make sure that you check out the show notes to get links to the new record from 10th Avenue North and where you can get that, as well as the new book from Mike Donahue. Make sure you check that out. Go check out their tour dates as well. Go see them on tour. Close out this episode is a little bit more of the song Someone to Talk To by 10th Avenue North. My name is Josh McCabe. This is Overflow Beyond the Music. We'll see you next time. Can I say-